Well, despite sanctions, Russia is still pulling in something like a billion dollars a day from its energy exports. It basically funds the country's budget and it's funding the war in Ukraine. A huge part of that is oil, about $700 million a day in revenue. But my next guest says those doing the importing of that oil, mainly in Europe, actually have a lot more leverage over Russia than they seem to be showing. And that not only could they turn off the taps fueling Kremlin's, the Kremlin's war, there may also be a way to turn Russia's oil revenue, at least some of it, into money to help Ukraine rebuild following Russia's destruction. Joining me now with more is Craig Kennedy. He's an associate at the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. Craig, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. So we've talked about this a lot, specifically in Canada, where there's a lot of attention on Russia's oil exports and what sort of benefit that's providing both them and fueling uh, their ability to carry out this war in Ukraine. Uh, just how much is the West continuing to fill Russia's coffers? It's quite a bit. Um, if you factor in both oil and gas for, as exports, it's to the tune of about a billion dollars a day of import receipts or export receipts that the Russians are getting, most of that coming from Europe. So far, though, I mean, we've imposed what are clearly unprecedented sanctions, but that flow of money seems to be continuing. Uh, why is that? Why haven't the sanctions managed to take a bite out of those revenues? So the sanctions were really aimed at trying to isolate Russia from the international financial system. So most of the um, Russian banks are now subject to one form of financial sanction or, or another, as well as to cut off the flow of certain technologies such as microchips that would impede Russia's ability to grow its economy over the medium term. But the one area that wasn't being touched in any significant way was oil and gas sales. And this was really not so much for the benefit of, um, of North American countries participating in the sanctions, because frankly, the United States and Canada receive very little by way of oil and gas, uh, no gas and very little oil from, from Russia. But um, our European allies, on the other hand, uh, are uh, frankly dependent on Russia for gas. And many of them believe that they're dependent uh, on Russia for oil. But that's one of the points that I'm trying to raise in the paper, that in fact, the dependency is the other way around. Uh, Russia is more dependent on um, uh, the West's markets for uh, being able to sell its oil than the other way around. And um, as far as the, um, the sanctions themselves, we allow even some sanctioned companies and banks to continue transacting when it comes to the sale of oil and gas. Uh, so if, say, Germany is purchasing gas or Hungary is purchasing oil from Russia, uh, they can still pay Russia through the even sanctioned banks for those transactions. So I gather we should set gas aside. It's a very interesting topic, but your paper focuses specifically on oil. Uh, you argue that Western nations, the Germanys, so on, have a lot more leverage than either they think or either they're using right now. Why is that? Uh, they do. Um, and the reason they have the leverage uh, is, is as follows. Uh, if I could just give you a bit of a bigger picture. Uh, Russia produces around one-tenth of the globe's oil, uh, but it uses very little of what it produces. Most of that it actually exports to the, to the broader world. Now, uh, some of that they export through a dedicated pipeline to the Far East, and most of that's absorbed by China. But the, the vast majority of what they, um, they export, and this is over half of their total production, 
goes to the West. And it goes to the West through this complex system of pipelines and seaports uh, that bring a huge amount of oil every day um, through the Black Sea, through the Baltic, um, mostly into Europe. Uh, and in one, uh, and there's one very large pipeline that goes directly into the heart of Europe, uh, into Hungary, uh, the Slovak Republic, into Germany, and feeds directly into a number of refineries that were built back uh, in the Soviet period and are connected right up to um, fields uh, that operate in West Siberia and the Middle Volga. So uh, you've got um, a huge amount of oil being produced. Most of it flows through infrastructure to the West, uh, it supplies around 20% of Europe's all, um, total oil and gas needs. But uh, when policymakers in Europe start debating what do we do uh, about sanctions, uh, they're very concerned about security of supply for gas. If the Russians turn off the gas, it's very difficult to get gas um, easily substituted from other places. Oil is different though. Oil is, is a fungible international commodity. It's easy to put oil on ships and move them around them. There are many terminals in Europe that can import oil. So Russia does have the ability, or rather Europe does have the ability to bring large amounts of oil and it would substitute uh, for the oil that they're currently taking from Russia. But the, the counter argument that that has been, well, if we don't buy the Russians oil. The Russians will just put it on ships and send it to the Far East. Uh, and they'll still be getting the money. But this is, uh, I think, flawed th flawed flaw number one uh, in the thinking of, of many of the people who are uh, looking at sanctions. Uh, Russia actually doesn't have the technical flexibility or the infrastructure flexibility to move all of that oil to the Far East. Uh, the, uh, the oil itself is being produced deep in Russia's interior. And to get it to the Far East, you'd first need to actually bring it west to the Black Sea and to the Baltic, you then need to put it on ships and move those ships 40 days in each direction to get to the Far East. This would be a massive amount of oil to put on the water. Uh, if you did the numbers, you'd have to have a flotilla of 230 super tankers uh, uh, on the water day in and day out, carrying $20 billion worth of, uh, of Russian oil to move all of that oil east. Uh, and, and that's about 30% of the world's super tankers uh, in total. Could it be done? Well, yes, on paper it could be, but uh, uh, the, the, the tankers themselves uh, and moving oil on, on the water involves a lot of different parties. You've got uh, banks involved who provide um, letters of credit. You've got the tanker chartering companies. You've got marine insurers. And all of these people are very sensitive to sanctions. And if the West decided that it wanted to put secondary sanctions on Russian oil exports, all of those providers would fall away. They wouldn't want to touch Russian oil. And as a result, Russia would not be able to move its oil out of Russia. It would be effectively stranded there. Uh, which brings us to the second um, point. It's a rather technical point, but it's very important. Um, and that is, if Russia had all of this oil that was normally sending to Europe and the Europeans said, no, we don't want it, and it can't send it to, um, to the east, what does it do? It doesn't have a place to store it. It's far too much oil to put into storage facilities. So effectively, they'd need to leave it in the ground. Uh, now, you may say, that's easy. Saudi Arabia shuts in large amounts of oil all the time as part of OPEC's efforts to manage the global supply. But Russia's fields are very different from Saudi Arabia's. 
Uh, they don't have nearly the type of flexibility uh, that Saudi Arabia does. It has to do with geology. It has to do with the way the oil is brought to the surface. Uh, but to, to put, a, a, um, uh, put it more succinctly, if Russia had to um, stop producing this oil, it could cause uh, extensive damage to their oil fields, uh, damage that could take many years to, uh, to fix. And therefore, it's something that they would be extremely reluctant to do. I think those are the two, two things um, that people have overlooked. First of all, they can't move all that oil to the east um, if we decide that we want to put in sanctions in place. And they would be very reluctant to shut it all in themselves. And that suddenly makes that oil stranded and it turns Russia into something similar to a captive seller. I'm speaking with Craig Kennedy, an associate at the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. We're talking about uh, a paper that he's put out arguing that Russia has an oil's Achilles heel. Uh, it is sells a lot more to the West and needs the West, is dependent on the West for, for these sales, cannot substitute it uh, by selling it to other areas of the world, such as China. So if in fact the West does have Russia over a barrel, so to speak, when it comes to its oil exports, where is the political will to exercise that leverage. That's next. I'm speaking with Craig Kennedy, an associate at the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. We're talking about Russia's oil exports, how important the exports continue to be uh, for Russia's coffers, uh, including money to help fuel this war in Ukraine, as well as the leverage that the West has when it comes to Russia's oil exports, and perhaps why it's not using that leverage quite as effectively as perhaps it could. Uh, Craig, you were starting to say that, that in fact, there needs to be a political will here uh, for countries that export a lot of or import a lot of Russian oil to actually use that leverage. How come we haven't seen that yet, do you think? Well, I think that's right, Ben. In part, we haven't seen it yet um, because people don't realize the leverage we do have. And one of the reasons I put this paper out is to provide these insights about the limitations in the Russian oil industry that actually give the West leverage. But to use that leverage, we need to do two things. Um, first of all, we, we need to act uh, as a united front as we have with other sanctions. Uh, and also we have to recognize just how much uh, this, uh, this billion dollars a day that Russia is getting um, from its energy exports, uh, largely from Europe, is uh, is blunting the impact of our sanctions, our financial and other technical sanctions on Russia. Now, I think that's actually become apparent now. We've seen Russia, after initially reeling from um, sanctions, recover somewhat. Uh, it's, it's unclear still how, um, how, uh, how robust that recovery from the initial blow of financial sanctions is going to be. Clearly, Russia is going to see a significant cut in its GDP this year, but we're not seeing the type of cascading effect uh, of these sanctions on a broader economy uh, that some people thought might happen. And part of it has to do with the fact that there's this large flow of cash coming in every day from energy sales. So there is a, 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 a stepped up effort now to try to focus on what we can do. Uh, um, but uh, in order to come up with a good solution, we need to first recognize exactly what our, our, our real leverage is and think of smart ways to exploit it. You've also brought up a very interesting scenario whereby Russia would still be able to export its oil, but the profits, or at least part of the profits, would wind up going back to Ukraine to help rebuild Ukraine uh, following or at any point. So in other words, something like reparations. Uh, how would that work? So think about it this way. Um, if 
we use our ability to prevent Russian oil from getting exported to the East. Uh, and we say to the Russians, we're not going to buy your oil except on our terms. Uh, it, um, it gives them effectively two choices. They can either shut that oil in, that means stop producing. But as I mentioned before, uh, if that goes on for long enough, by that I mean six months, 12 months, or even longer, where they've shut that much oil in, it causes um, very significant damage to their, um, their production capacity. So the other option we give them is to sell the oil as a way of preventing that damage, but we would do it on our terms. And the aims of, uh, of this would be to prevent Russia from getting any more cash from the sales of that than it needs to uh, effectively produce the oil. In other words, we say to you, we'll pay you what it costs to produce it, but nothing more. Now that nothing more is actually a very substantial amount. Russia's costs of production are relatively low. If we just take a couple of simple numbers, today Russian oil is selling for $80, $90 a barrel. Uh, it's at a discount to uh, other uh, benchmark crudes that we see in the market. And of that, call it $80, uh, about three quarters of it actually goes in taxes to the government. Uh, and only about a quarter of it is needed to cover the basic production costs. And that's effectively what the companies get. The rest of this is going into the Kremlin's coffers to fund the budget and to fund the war. Uh, if you just looked at the oil that's being exported from Russia to the West every day, the amount of taxes that the Kremlin is getting is enough to cover 70% of this year's entire federal budget. And that's a huge amount. And that's the amount that we'd be targeting. So um, if we were to move forward, uh, as I was proposing, we would need to say the following. We need to, first of all, be, be ready for a full uh, embargo of Russian oil. We'd have to say, uh, we are no longer going to accept your oil and we will no longer allow your oil to sail on the seas. Uh, we're going to make certain that all of the third parties that support that, um, uh, the effort to move oil uh, through tankers uh, will not support that any longer because of sanctions risk. However, we are going to give you uh, an option. If you want to continue selling your oil into Europe and not shut it in, We'll buy it, but we'll only buy it at cost. And this is probably somewhere around $20, $25 a barrel. Uh, everything else, uh, we're going to keep. So it would work like this. A Russian producer would sell the oil uh, uh, to a Western buyer at $80 a barrel, uh, the, uh, which is the, you know, the going market price. That Western buyer, instead of paying the money back to the Russians, would actually pay into a payment authority. And we've used these before in sanctions in the past. That payment authority would then take the cost portion, that's the $20, $25 that the Russian uh, producer gets, send that back to Russia. But the remainder goes into a special escrow fund uh, for funding the reparations of Ukraine. So three quarters of every barrel, um, uh, of the price of every barrel that's being sold would actually be going to fund Ukrainian reparations. And just to give you a, a figure we're talking about three or $400 million a day um, based on current numbers. Craig Kennedy, it is a fascinating idea. Uh, we'll see what happens with it. I hope someone's listening uh, out there, policymakers particularly. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Ben, thank you.